Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. The text reads, So the two of them went on, speaking of Naomi and Ruth, until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity or affliction upon me? Verse 22, so Naomi returned And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Father, we pray for you to bless this time as we devote what remains to your word. Would you meet us in a special way? Encourage our hearts and help us to be more faithful in our pursuit of you, our love toward you, and our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this message, From, fame, from, from Pain to Purpose. From Pain to Purpose. It wasn't too long ago where I pulled my kids together around my lap and sitting around me watching a Netflix documentary, just wanting to show them a little bit of what all goes into some of the most renowned athletes who've competed in Olympics or in other forms of comp- competition in sport, and also some UFC fighters. I can't quite recall which one of the fighters it is, but I knew they've seen them in action on the field or in the ring or in the octagon, if you will, but I wasn't quite sure that they knew what all went into being able to compete on that caliber. I knew they saw the end product. I wasn't quite sure they understood the process that was involved. And so I took it upon myself to just take a few minutes to show them a little bit of the the work that goes into, the agonizing work and the toil that goes into just preparing the body to be able to compete on that level. And before very long, almost every single one of them was pointing out to me why the pain (laughs) Why would anybody want to put themselves through all that? I don't get it, Dad. That's just too much that any one person would want to take themselves through unless there was a, a purpose. Unless there was a purpose. I, I could get all of that that you showed us as long as there is a purpose. All I'm seeing right now is, is pain. You look at their face. You look at the way that they endure cold mornings, long nights, and they find themselves working out in areas where you and I would never be, and they got trainers and coaches pushing them almost in their estimation beyond their limits, and all you see is pain. I bring that up because I think our lives, a lot of the times, and our journey with Jesus is an awful lot like that. Sometimes, maybe you can relate with me, all you see is pain. 
and you're wondering to yourself, if God could just show me where this is headed, I might be all right. I might be able to handle this. Please, Lord, may it not be just pain. I hope that there's a purpose. I'm here to talk to you today about not just your pain, which you may be experiencing today, but also your purpose, which is bound to show up tomorrow. Your pain equals God's purpose. God never introduces pain in any one of his children's lives because he's a good God. He's a good father who loves his kids. And anytime he introduces anything into our lives that may look painful, that may look hard, and that may look like in and of themselves, it's just how can this speak of a good God ultimately have a purpose? That's important. We're at a particular point in the scriptures, in the story of Ruth, where Naomi, which has been pretty much our key character in the story, it's interesting because the book is not named after Naomi. It's named after Ruth. But all we've had thus far is Naomi. We got Ruth, but we, don't, we won't have Ruth till chapter 2 and following. All we've had as our prominent character is Naomi. But the story of Naomi is really about the story of Ruth, or more importantly, about how God has sought to use the pain in Naomi to bring Ruth to himself. You see, a lot of times, God uses our pain not just to produce what he wants to produce in our own lives, as wonderful as that is, but also to produce his purpose and his plan in the lives that our lives are shared with. But sometimes our pain has a way of creating a fog. It has a way of clouding our understanding. It has a way of clouding our vision and preventing us from from being able to see what all God is up to. A lot of times we even define ourselves by our pain. We're about to see that in a moment, that Naomi says, look, stop calling me Naomi. In fact, if you were to judge me or I were to judge myself based off of my season, call me by another name, Mara, which means bitter. I need a name that describes where I'm at. Wrong idea. That's what we do a lot of times, either through poor decisions of our own making or through the sins of others done toward us. It's very easy to live trapped in your past or in your experiences and allow your identity to be defined by what's been done to you or what you have done to yourself. And you go on living in that way perpetually, never to discover what all God has for you. When there's a purpose before you. You see, God had already gone ahead of Naomi and Ruth well before. Even though they're just now arriving in Bethlehem, he was already there. Even though many of you are beginning to now see the light of day, God was already there. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God inhabits, the Bible says, eternity. He doesn't need to wait for it to pan out to find out... I think I got a way to pull this thing off. No, 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 no. The Bible says in Psalm 115 and 3, the Lord sits in the heavens and he does whatsoever he pleases. He confounds the counsels of men, Psalm 33. He frustrates the plans of the people, Psalm 2. He who sits in the heaven laughs, the Bible says. That's God. We, anxiety, fear, oh no, It's over. My life is done. Him? 
settled. And things aren't just going according to his plan when it's good according to our estimation. When Jesus was on the cross being beaten to a pulp, it was going as planned. When Joseph was being sold off by his own siblings to the Midianites so that he might be imprisoned and endure a life apart from his family and everything that he's known, it was according to God's plan. God's always in control, no matter what our lives may be presently be looking like. But we don't always see it that way, do we, if the truth be told? We had a chance to see the closure that Naomi brought between herself and Orpah and Ruth before this particular scene. Naomi took her last shot, her last chance to be able to encourage these women to just go back. Save yourself the trouble. You don't need to come with me. You ain't got nothing there. That's my land. That's not your land. That's my religion. That's not your religion. That's my God. That's not your God. That's my people. That's not your people. That's my language. That's not your language. That's my culture and my customs. That's not your culture and your customs. And so let me just go on ahead and save you the trouble and just stay in Moab because you might be able to have a chance to have a life again. It worked for Orpah. You ain't got to ask twice, she said. But it didn't work for Ruth. Ruth was committed. So much so that we have the famed passage addressed to Ruth that came out of her mouth that said, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Ruth was committed to not only Naomi, but to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. You see, a lot of times in the church in these days in the 21st century, it doesn't take quite much for people to bail on the church, bail on God, and look for an exit to be out of fellowship. Anything. Pastor sermon goes off once, it's over. Church member steps on my feet, spiritually speaking, I'm done. I ain't going back there. They ain't got programs to my liking, I'm out of here. Deuces. doesn't take much. Interesting, in Ruth's case, Naomi tried all she could, not to be seeker-friendly, like we try, but to actually encourage her to bail on God, to walk away from God, and to worship other gods, and to live for herself, and to put herself first. Put yourself first. Look out for yourself. Don't put God first. Don't follow me to the place that represents God's blessing, God's people, God's presence, which is what Bethlehem means, house of bread. Go live in Moab, which represents self-centeredness. And Ruth said to her, look, there's nothing you can tell me that's going to get me to go back to the land that I've already sworn I'm not going back to. There's nothing in Moab for me. There's nothing in the world for me. I'm with Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. I just want you, Naomi, and your people and your God. I want Bethlehem. There's nothing else for me in Moab. There once was at a certain time, and that's important for you, church. If you're going to get forward with Christ, if you're going to know anything of what God has for you, you've got to be able to arrive at that point in your own life for yourself, like Ruth did, where you've got to be convinced, convinced if you were pressed, that there's nothing else more. But isn't that the problem a lot of times? A lot of the reason why we don't see God advancing in our life the way we thought he would by now in this season of our life is because we got Moab and we want Bethlehem at the same time. 
And Ruth said, that ain't going to work. You can try all you want to urge me to go back. I'm here, and I'm going with you. It's important. And so Naomi brings this relationship to a closure. You know, closure conversations are important. That's what she's having. She's drawing the line in the sand. Naomi may have her own purposes in mind, but God, meanwhile, has his own purposes in having this closure conversations. Sometimes you and I need to show up at the job and make that appointment with the supervisor and say, look, I need to schedule an appointment. I just need to sit down with you. i got to say a few things. Look, I've stuck it out at this job as long as I could, but my values and my beliefs and my faith and my God and what this company is up to and where this company is going are just in opposite directions. And I was hoping that this was going to work, but I feel like I'm brought to a place where I've got to make a decision. Either what I strongly believe in and where my integrity lies or whether I'm going to please this place and I'm going with God. That's a closure conversation. Sometimes we got to make closure conversations in our relationships. Oftentimes that conversation needs to be had, ladies, men, where you sit down with that brother or you sit down with that gal and you say, you know what, I love Jesus and I care about you and I wish all the best for you, but you know what, this isn't going anywhere and I think this relationship needs to end right here and right now because I love Jesus and you're not a Christian and I should have never got into this relationship in the first place, but here we are, better late than never. Sometimes even in our own marriages, we need to have that closure conversation. Look, honey, I can't have you loving me and running around with other women or men at the same time. It's either me or her. It's either me or him, but not both of us. It's a closure conversation. Sometimes we need to have that closure conversation in ministry and in church life. And you need to call God's people to a place. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If it's the Lord, then serve him. But if it's Baal, then serve him, Elijah said. You see, when we don't have the, I'll leave that word out. When we don't have the goal to to be able to have that conversation, relationships end up going on longer than they need to. And we could have saved both of ourselves a whole lot of heartache and pain because we saw all this, all the pieces were there, all the ingredients were there that communicated to us, you're not meant for each other. It's just not working. You're better off. But sometimes out of fear of having that conversation, we allow situations to go on longer than they need to. Naomi's having this closure conversation because she's about to go back to Bethlehem, which is a picture of her wanting to finally, she should have done it before, get things right between her and her God. She made mistakes. She blew it. That's what got her into Moab. But praise God, there's always second chances. And she says, I can't do anything about that, but I can do something about my present. I'm prepared to repent, which is a picture of her going back to Back to Bethlehem. Repentance means you're going in one direction with your life. God's nowhere there. He's over here. He stops you in your tracks. He shows you your ways. You're convinced of them, and you turn around, and you're prepared now to go in the direction of God. That's repentance. Ruth and Naomi are making that turn in their life, which is pictured by them leaving Moab with Moab in their back and going to Bethlehem. But when you decide... Some of you are just now coming back to faith, back to God, back 
to church, back to finally putting God first. That's a good start, but that's not enough. Can I go there? Not only do I, not only do I need to understand the importance of faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ, I also need to look at my life and find out who am I bringing along with me on this journey? They may have been conducive for what I was up to before, but they may not be all that helpful for what I'm about to be with now that I'm going to Bethlehem. Not everybody deserves that trip back to Bethlehem. And if they do, it's because they're prepared to make the same decisions Count the same cost as you're now, by God's grace, prepared to count. Ruth and Naomi are about to do that. Orpah is not having it. There's still too much in Moab for her. And you got to understand with some of your friends, maybe you were dating and you came back to God, but you didn't do anything about that relationship. That relationship may have worked with Christ out of your life, but now that he's at the center of your life, you need somebody that's compatible somebody that's on the same page that you are with regard to God and Christ and the gospel and his kingdom. And if they're not, they got to go. We need a closure conversation. And Naomi's having this closure conversation in her life. You see, for, for good to begin in our life, bad must end. For good to begin in your life and my life, bad must end. Moab has been nothing but bad for Naomi and her family. And a lot of the reason why is because of how they got themselves into that trap. And she's now had enough time, 12 years, some scholars suggest, it could be upwards of 20 years that they've been in Moab all this time. She's had long enough time to be able to know what life is like out of church. She's been out of church, out of prayer meetings, Bible studies, women's ministry, Sunday service. She hasn't heard the word. She can't remember the last message she's heard preached. She, she hasn't stood together with God's people and worshiped songs. She hasn't been in fellowship. She's been out doing her own thing. But now she's ready to go back. But in order for good to start, bad must end. There are a couple of ways in which bad takes place in our life, and necessary endings take place. One is, sometimes we just get ourselves into that trap in the first place. It's just through our own decisions. Just like what Elimelech and Naomi did with their family. They got themselves into that. They didn't have to go to Moab, but they did. The second way in which we get ourselves into these sort of ways is, we may have had a good start with our relationship. We went forward. He told me he loved Jesus. He told me he was a churchman. He told me he was all into everything I said. I mean, I, you gave me the checklist, Pastor. I mean, everything was good. She said she was on board. She said her dad was an, a deacon or something. And then we get married two years into it, and he's, and she's fooling around with somebody else, and they've walked away from the faith. And so I thought we started good. But what happened? But either way, it could bring this same sort of pain in our life. And that's where they're brought to right now. But Ruth is prepared to make that journey no matter the cost in her life. That's important. You remember what Jesus promised Peter when he said, we've left everything for you, Lord. What do we get? 
Peter, truly I say to you, there is no one who's left wives, brothers, parents, children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive much more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. In other words, whatever it is that it's going to cost you to be able to follow me, what I got in store, not only in this lifetime, but what awaits you when you receive me and come to be with me in glory, this is going to pale in comparison to what I got for my people. The sufferings of this present time, Romans 8.12, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us in the age to come. This light momentary affliction, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, is working for us a far more eternal weight of glory as we look not on the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. All that trouble you're going through, temporal. The challenges and the difficulties you find yourself in, temporal. The relationship issues and drama, temporal. The people that have walked out on you, temporal. The people you thought you could trust on, temporal. The people you thought you had your back, temporal. As we look, not on the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen. Bethlehem represents every blessing, every promise that's unseen are eternal. The Bible says it's eternal. See, and Ruth, outside of the covenant people of God, a Moabitess, should have never been in the church of God in the first place. They even have chapters and verses. She's going to come across them all throughout her faith journey. It's like, that's about me. But praise God, by his grace, I'm welcomed in. You and I should look at all the passages that talk about how we should not be close to God. God should not hear our prayers. We shouldn't even be allowed. That's me outside of Christ, outside of the grace of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, quickened us, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. And so if you belong to him at all, if you're benefiting at all, if you're blessed at all, it's because of his goodness and his grace and his kindness. And Ruth stands out for you and me as a picture of no matter what you see with yourself or about yourself, nothing is a hopeless situation with God. And so here they are. They find themselves coming back to Bethlehem. And when they come to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred. Because of who? Because of them. So get this, here Naomi and Ruth is coming. I mean, they're walking. No Uber. No dart. No train. They're walking. Could be upwards of a 60-mile journey by foot. That's rough. And here they are as women prepared to make the trip. What happened to those boys who married these two girls who died? How come they didn't make the trip? If they can make the trip, how come they never made the trip in the first place to get them two wives? But they settled for these Moabitess women. Instead of inconveniencing themselves by going on that trip to find a godly woman, they just settle for what's right there in front of them. And that's what we do a lot of times. Instead of working on myself and being a godly man and looking at all the signs and the signals that that communicate to me from what I'm not getting from women I thought I could be able to have as an indication I need to mature and grow up, I settle for a woman who will take me as I am. But that's all I got. Rather than looking at that woman and saying, how come she doesn't dig me? 
Could it be about something about me that needs to develop and grow? Instead of doing that and say, you know what? I got homework. I'm going to go home. I'm going to work on myself so that the next time I put myself in her way, I'll be a more likely candidate. That's what we should do. But what do we do? We find a bunch of women, and there are enough of them in our society that are willing to take us as we are, half-baked as we are. Or better yet, in our day and age with the porn generation, we don't even need to meet her because she doesn't complain every time I go to her site. She'll continue to deliver. And I don't even need to develop or improve myself and tap into who I am or what the best version of me is. The only way I could ever come to know who the best version of me is is if I settle for the right woman. Who? And that's a picture of a right woman. A right woman, ladies, you can help in this too. One of the things that kills the chase is when you don't allow them to chase. When you don't allow them to be able to develop. Give them space. Let them flourish and grow and become the men that they need to be. Look, Ruth was prepared to go to, Mo- to Bethlehem. Naomi was like, look, it's going to be uncomfortable. I got a dysfunctional family, church family. They don't know how to relate with Moabite people. They, I don't even know if we've ever had a Moabite person. It would be like an African-American comes to Christ during segregation, Jim, Jim Crow, and the only church they got are Anglo churches. And he's like, man, that's the only way I get my worship in? Just imagine how uncomfortable it could be. And Ruth is prepared to count that cost. You see, that's important. That's important for us men and for you ladies. For men, we need to recognize, look, if she digs me, then she better dig my people and she better dig my God. Ruth doesn't just dig Naomi. She digs her people. She hasn't even met them yet, but that, it doesn't matter because she made that determination here. So that means she's prepared for all of the fallout, all of the ways in which they're going to clash. Just imagine two different cultures coming together. They speak different languages. They're going to constantly be sizing her up. She's going to feel like a minority. She's going to have to endure all of that, but she's prepared to do that. Men, if she's the right one, then she's going to be able to demonstrate to you that she not only wants you, she wants your family. You don't just marry her. You marry into each other's families, and she's going to want your community. She's going to want everything that you... That's the one thing I did with my wife. When we were dating, we kept our worlds apart. She was an hour away. I was at another church. I wasn't a part of Abishar churches for like the first 12, 13 years, and I was an hour away, and so we kept it apart. But as soon as I knew this thing was serious and we were getting somewhere, it was beyond just just dating a few times, I was like, you know what, honey, I don't know what you think about this, but we're getting serious, and I would really love for you to be a part of my church. As a man, I wanted to initiate that. I was already a part of it. I was beginning to be uh, a minister in that church, a lay elder, and I was serving, and I was very involved, and I thought I could create space for her to be able to flourish, and I I wanted to do that. And I said, honey... It would really mean a lot to me, not just to go out for coffee or borders or restaurants or whatever and just do our own little thing. I want you to really know who I am. And the only way that can happen and the only way I could know you dig me is if you dig everything about me. You see? And I don't want to be embarrassed about my church. I don't want to be embarrassed about my life. Because if you were to marry me tomorrow, that's who you're going to walk into. So you might as well know now. And I think that's important. Ladies, If all you got is him, if the relationship only works in a telephone booth, 
if it only works in a DM, if it only works on the phone, if it only works in an internet chat room, if it only works in the backseat of a car, it ain't a relationship. It's got to be able to survive in a real community where there are real people who know him and fellas who know her. That's how it works. And so I remember when we were younger in high school, we used to say, look, the way you know she ain't no little side chick, but she's the real deal, is if he brought her over to the house. Because a lot of times dudes, they wouldn't bring, they'll see girls, but they won't bring them over to the house. <laughs> my dad, my mom ain't seeing her. They're not meeting. No, 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 no. I'll be hearing it for days, right? My cousins aren't going to meet her. No, no, no. Uncles, no one. Church especially, no. Family, I'm keeping her at a distance, right? That's just my thing. Well, that's the problem. When it's just your thing, that should be a red flag. If it's the real deal, you should be able to, ladies, he should be able to not only bring you to himself, he should also be inclined and interested and encouraged to want to introduce you to his world and to his family. Yeah, there's progression. Yes, there's timing. Yes, there's wisdom. But it should at least be heading in that direction. That's important. And Ruth is like, look, I'm prepared to demonstrate that to you. And Naomi's like, wow, this is a real friend. And that's a real friend. That's a real friend. And so here these women are. In verse 19, the town, the whole town is stirred. It's buzzing. It's buzzing. What are they saying? Is that, yeah, is this, is this Naomi? Is this, no. Is that really her? She's lost a lot of weight. Man. Wow. Look at her skin. It's, it's, she's been through it. Is that, no, that can't be her. Where, I don't see Elimelech, though, and I don't see Melon Kilion. I just, and she's got this. Don't look like one of us. Who is that? But really, though, isn't that how we are in the church? Is this Naomi? Is that, isn't that that girl that, that got pregnant out of wedlock? Isn't that the girl that got pregnant out of wedlock? Is that is that, that brother that, that went through that bitter, painful divorce? Is, is, is that, that that wife that's been trying to have a baby but six miscarriages? Is that that family that uh, that's just gone through one health problem after another? Isn't that that guy that's that was supposed to get married? Didn't didn't they already propose? Aren't they engaged? Wasn't the wedding supposed to? Wait a second, it was supposed, but they backed out the day before. See, a lot of times we we size up people. And we brand them based on whatever they've passed through. And we don't give them an opportunity, even if they wanted it, to get beyond their past. And what that ends up doing is it ends up discouraging people from coming back to church in the first place. Because they already know they're going to hear it. They already know they're going to get the eyes. They already know. Even if people don't come out and say it, they already know what they're thinking. And so it's like, you know what? It's just me and my YouTube and my favorite preachers or whatever. Or I'm going to go to a, just a nice big church, hide myself up in the bleachers, just try to get a message, hear a couple of songs, and I'm out. But I'm never going to enter into because of the place where I could have, they're not mature enough to receive people like myself who are broken. When in fact, we're all broken. We're all in process. 
We all got something to be bitter about. We all got something to experience. We all have a story behind us. And if we would just live that way and relate with one another from that standpoint, I believe people would be more inclined, even if they've been out of church like Naomi and her family have been out of church, if you will, for a minute, at least she's ready to go back. And But look what she's going back to. And she's still coming back. I wonder how many people are setting out to go back, but because of what they fear. What may God be saying to you and to me about how we need to grow and what sort of image we need to get off and what needs to change within us so that people get a different representation from us so that they might be all the more inclined to want to, no matter what they may have been up to, like the prodigal son. He may have been squandered his father's wealth. He may have gone off to the far country and lived it up, but that time still came where the text tells us in Luke 15, but he came to himself. He came to his senses. And he says, what on earth am I doing here when my servants, my father's servants, have it far better in my own dad's house than I got it here in this pigsty? I'm going back. But what motivated him to go back? How come the text didn't read, but nah, 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 I can't do that. I already know he's going to be on me. And I'm going to hear it for days. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm not going back. I'm better off staying away. It must have been because of how he left and the sort of love that however much the father was hurt and grieved and harmed by his own son's decision, and people have their own decisions to make, to want to take his inheritance and run off, his father didn't allow his pain to interfere with the last memory that his son was going to be able to have of his dad because he knew that there may be a day where he's going to need. The only thing he could live off of is that memory. It's a memory of a father who says, look, I'm at the, door, I'm at the porch of the house, and I'm ready to give you your stuff. If you got, you got another opportunity, you can always turn back. Nope. I and your mother, we love you. We tried to raise you to do right. We tried to raise you to live for God. We tried to raise you to be able to not only see us living for God in our day, but to do the same in yours. But if this is the decision that you've chosen to make, there's no way in the world I can hold you. God's got to get a hold of you. But you got nothing but love and grace here and mercy and kindness. And I want to make sure that the last memory on your mind of us and of this home, in case you may need it. He did. He came back. Father didn't even let him come to hit the porch yet. He ran out to him to receive him. He didn't say, no, 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 I want you crawling, groveling down up here, up this porch. I want you telling me what you know I deserve to hear. No, he received him. He said, you don't need to even talk. Hug me, hug me. Get a coat for this man. Get some sandals for his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Cut the fatted calf. There's about to be a party. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We celebrate. There's a party in heaven. There's got to be a party on earth. Naomi's coming home. There's about to be a party. It's barley season. It's harvest season. The chapter opened up with the famine. In the days when the judges, there was a famine in the land. Verse 22 
and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. You see, you see, God's already been at work. God went ahead of them. God has gone ahead of you and me. See, this is why it's important. We don't want to be a church that's filled with gossip and stirred to want to discourage people. Let me tell you something. Be careful. If somebody has the audacity and the fearlessness to want to sit down and talk to you about somebody else, that ought to tell you that they got the same ability, the same fearlessness to turn around and talk with somebody else about you in your absence. When I'm standing there and somebody's talking to me about somebody else's laundry, I'm thinking, wait a second, if, if they can do this, that means there's a good chance they're talking about me when I'm not around. Uh-uh. I'm sorry. I can't enter into this conversation. Unless you and I are prepared to be a part of the solution, I don't need to be entering into this conversation. I'm out. That's how I handle that. I'm out. I'm out. And here... These women are stirred. And what's Naomi's response? Stop calling me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. You see, she's arriving at this point where she's at rock bottom. Maybe some of you are at that point. Maybe you're getting there. Maybe you've been there, and you know what it's like. It's not all bad. Naomi is a little off. Because even though she's describing something fairly accurately, she's a little salty. And you can hear it under the tone. She's a little salty. Yes, God's up to something. Yes, God's behind everything. Not only the good things that happened in my life, but even the discipline that he brings. But it doesn't look like she's celebrating his discipline in her life. That's important. Remember Job's wife. She's like, look, I was good with God and all when... We were enjoying everything. We had a nice house. We had our kids. I mean, we had, I mean, drive through was packed with every car you could imagine, depending on what our outing looked like. But he allowed everything to get touched. I can't worship a God like that. I can worship a God who gives me everything I want, but I can't worship a God who starts. <laughs> and so she says, look, take my advice, curse God, and just die. And he looks at her and says, woman, shall we receive good from the hand of the Lord and not trouble or bad? Blessed be the name of the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away. I went away full. I went out full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Blessed be the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away. Job's wife couldn't say that. Job could. Not because he didn't see what his wife saw, but he translated it differently. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. If God is sending this, if God is permitting this, if God is allowing this, then it's got to be good. It may have not come from his hand, but by the time it's got to pass through his hand, and by the time he's done, it's got to be good. That's what God, that's what Naomi is needing to realize. All she sees is bad. She's interpreting the discipline of the Lord as judgment. And that's important, Christian, for you to be able to distinguish. Christians don't get punished. Christians get disciplined. Hebrews chapter 12. The Lord loves, the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. Punishment took place once and for all on the cross. 
And his name is Jesus. And he bore all of it for you and for me out of love for us. Discipline belongs to the child. If you're not receiving discipline, you're not receiving your sonship. Part of our sonship means we experience discipline. Jesus even said that the father, the husbandman, prunes the branches. That's what's happening in Naomi's life. But she's not receiving it as that. And as a result of it, she can't see God. She can't value God. She can't praise God for what he's doing in her life fully. She will, and she's beginning to right now because she's perfectly, accurately describing what takes place when somebody's prepared to put God first. You got to get emptied out. She's getting emptied out. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn over their sin, those who who mourn over their choices. You see, she went out full. What she's saying is, I didn't go out full materially. I mean, there was a famine. They had nothing. They were afraid. And that's why they were driven out to Moab. So how did she go out full? They went out full with a spouse. She went out full from Bethlehem to Moab with a couple of kids. But even more, That family went out full of themselves. That's what she's trying to say. I went out full with my own self, my own plans. I know what I'm going to do with my life. I got plans. Nobody's going to get in my way. I don't need God and his guidance to be able to know what to do with my life. I want to be full with me. That's how they went out. Full with their own ideas, with their own plans and strategies and wisdom. But what ended up happening? They got nothing to show for it. They got nothing to show for it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And so here she comes back and she's saying, look, it got me nowhere. Isn't that true? We go out and we're like, look, I'm about to do my own thing. We got a lot of people we're connected with. The reason why they're not with God and in the house of God is because they're doing their own thing. And they're not prepared to allow God or anybody else to get in the way of that. That's where they were. But that's not where she's at now. Praise be to God. She's at this point where she's prepared to want to allow God to work, and that's where we want to close. You see, friend, maybe you're at this point where you feel emptied out, but God never allows you to be emptied out for its own sake. He allows you to be emptied out so that he might fill you with himself so he might fill you with himself. Up till now, her life has been described by nothing but bitterness, pain, and affliction. But now, as she's beginning to turn to God, it's harvest season. It's not just about barley and food. It's a a picture of God's blessing, God's goodness, God's favor. It's a picture of how God is trying to show her, Naomi, church, I'm ready to bless you. You see, they went out and they were hoping, God, bless this. And that's what we do. God, I'm going into this relationship. I got all sorts of signs. You sent my friend to me. You sent my sister to me. You sent my mom to me. You sent my pastor to me. And I pushed all of them away in order to have this relationship. And then I'm back empty. Some of us go out and pursue dreams or quote-unquote callings or purposes, but God's nowhere to be found. Some of us are in financial crises because we've just squandered 
resources God has given us because we had our plan, but not God's. We weren't trying to seek his kingdom first, trusting that he'll add all these other things to us. It's like, no, I'm going to go after those other things. His kingdom better just follow. And God says it doesn't work that way. I don't bless impenitent hearts. I bless hearts that are repentant. And now that she's coming back the way she should have come to God in the first place, instead of going to Moab, he said, I could work with this. I could work with this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at his proper time. God resists the proud. You going to Moab? I ain't got nothing to do with that. I resist that kind of heart. But he gives grace to the humble. God's about to bless her. And that's what this season of harvest is about. That's what this season of your life is about. You're not too far. It hasn't been too long for you to look at yourself and think you're canceled. You're exempt from what God wants to do in your life. But you've got to be prepared to count that cost for your life. You've got to be prepared to say, you know what? If i got to be empty to have God in my life, then so be it. If it, had to, if it had to go here, if it had to come to this point, then so be it, God. I'm ready. I'm ready because I've seen what I could do with my life in my hands. Now I'm prepared to see what you can do with my life in your hands. you gotta, you got you to gotta talk that way. you got to be prepared to come to God in that way because he sees that. He sees that. Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. They went out rich in spirit, rich with themselves. And now she's coming back poor, impoverished. I got nothing to show for. I got nothing to offer myself. But I'm prepared at least a little bit. She may not be all there. I hope that's good news for somebody because you don't need to have perfect repentance to come back to God. You don't need to have perfect faith. Jesus said even the faith of a mustard seed is enough to say to this mountain, be moved, and it'll be moved. Maybe there's a mountain in your life like there was in Naomi's life. Will I ever be married again? I'm too old. Will I ever have children again? I got nobody to look after me. I got nobody to pass my legacy on to. Will I, will I have anything in Bethlehem to come back to? Is it just going to go from bad to worse? Maybe it's a mountain in your life. But like Naomi, I want to plead with you at this point to do what Naomi is prepared to do. I know we fault Naomi a lot of times for talking the way she did, a little heretical, a little off, a little un, un, theologically unsound. But you know what? Sometimes in order to get to where we need to get in our relationship with God, it comes out that way. And we need to give people space. We shouldn't be too quick to, ah, that's incorrect. That's not doctrinally sound. Okay? You're spouting some. No, no, no. You need to allow people. I was sitting with somebody by bedside battling cancer this week, just helping this woman die honorably before I do her funeral. And I don't know what I would do in that situation. I don't know what would come out of my mouth. (laughs) And this is a godly woman. (laughs) You don't know. And we need to give each other that space to be able to just vent and just say it however it's going to come out and allow the Lord to sort it out in His time. But the point is Do something. Get it out. Go through the process. 
don't just sit and do nothing. Tell yourself, there's nothing in Moab for me. I'm going back. I'm emptied, but I know God is prepared to fill me here and now. And he will. God is showing up. God is showing up. Maybe you're here today. And that's exactly where your life is at. You're looking at your life and you want to see God bless. But now you realize how he's going to bless. I want you to know he's present and he wants to work in your life. But we've got to come to him the same way Naomi did. And I assure you, he'll bless. Let's stand. I want to pray with you. But as I pray, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that God says anyone who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. I need that much from you. I need that much from you as we pray. It can't just be me praying for you. It's got to be us praying together. Let's believe that this God is. That's what Ruth understood. I've never been to Bethlehem. I've never seen your people. I've never encountered your God in his presence. But I'm prepared to believe, Naomi, that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, even if they may be Moabites. God, we come before you right now with the faith that we got, however little or big. And we ask, Lord God, meet us where we are. Meet your people where they are. And take us to where you long for us to be. Lord, I pray that nothing else stands between us and you. We just want you. We want your presence and we want your people. Surround us with your presence and surround us with a community that longs for your presence so that we might be the church that you have called us to be in this day and age. Lord, use us. Take our pain and turn it into what will be our purpose. May this pain that we're experiencing and encountering not be the final story. May it not be the last chapter of our book. May it go on to tell a a brighter story, a better story, a bigger story of your purpose that you've been all the while working in and through our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for receiving us. Thank you for moving in this place. Thank you for working upon our hearts. And now, God, I pray that as we bring this time of ours to a close, continue with us. May your spirit rest upon our lives like that dove upon the shoulder of the Lord Jesus as we leave this place to go on to do all that you've called us to. We thank you and we bless you. Let's give this God the glory that he deserves.